Hey guys, Dr. Greg here. And on today's episode of The Daily Dose of Dr. Greg, I've got a handful of questions from actually some of our patients and some of you guys from social media. So without further ado, let's dive in. All right, first question from Sarah. What are your thoughts on moderate alcohol consumption? And she actually put one to two drinks per meal and I, or like probably per day. And I was like, well, first off, we have to have this conversation about like, what's the definition of moderate? Um, but ultimately, by the time most people find us, um, you guys have heard me talk a bunch about the liver and liver stress and how the liver is the most uh, underworked and, and um, or overworked and underpaid employee in your body. And respectfully, your liver has to do the job of, of converting alcohol into other components. So, so from for your liver's standpoint, I would say like, hey, um, I don't think it's a great idea. Now, there's other things that talk about what alcohol can do from like a killing bacteria. Think about it. Like, think about this, right? You put you put san hand sanitizer on your hands to kill any bacteria that might be on your hands. So if you put alcohol into your body, what can that do to beneficial bacteria inside of your body? So I was actually just listening to a podcast from um, uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman, who is this brilliant, um, I believe he's like a medical school uh, uh, educator. And he does, he does talk a lot about like, it's not the best thing to be doing. Now in his podcast, he did say, hey, there are a couple pieces of research that do, do show that there can be some moderate benefit from very low alcohol consumption. But here's the scoop. Like if someone's a patient inside of our practice, it typically means that they're on a health journey. They've got health challenges. There are things that are that they are struggle busting with, right? There's a lot going on in their system. So what I, what I would say um, is this, like, are you able to withstand for a period of time? And if you're like, nope, then, well, that's a whole nother conversation, right? I mean, I respectfully, I had a patient in the practice here uh, about a week ago and, and she just straight up said to me, I, I have four drinks every single day. Um, I crave it. I, I, and, and she said, and I need to make some massive steps in moving away from it. And I was like, yeah, you totally do. Like anything in your life that you, if you say, I can't live without it, other than like love and water and food, like that could be an issue, right? Like if you're like, I don't get my, if I don't get my coffee, someone's going to die. Like that's, that's. That should be of concern, right? So I think you really need to look at your life and look at those things that are uh, there and why are they there? And and do you have enough control over them to say, I don't need this? Now, I'm not against alcohol. I grew up, in, to this day, my dad has one or two beers a night and 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 um, it is a very social thing for him. I do not believe that it has been, you know, this huge deleterious thing for his health. Though, um, also, I know like, if my dad came to me and, and he has not said this to me, but if he has like, you know, cancer or an autoimmune disease, I'd be like, you're done drinking, right? Like, why would you add, you know, control the variables that you can control. So why would you, why would you knowingly put something into your system that you know is going to be an issue for your body? So, um, I'm not against it. Uh, I, 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 I don't mind a drink every once in a while, but it, I mean, I could go, I've gone years without having any drinks and I'm fine with that. So, now, if you are battling a chronic health condition, an autoimmune disease or Lyme disease, I firmly believe that truly has no place uh, in your in your dietary or daily regime. So I'm sure I pissed off a few people with that comment. So next question. Kendrick has a question about neck pain and toxicity. 
And uh, what I have found is there's there can unquestionably be an association to this. I think part of the association is uh, to the brainstem. Um, so, uh, for example, you've heard of people having like disc issues, like in their spine. Well, there is no disc between your skull and your first cervical vertebra, and there's no disc between your first cervical vertebra and your second. And the reason is because your brainstem actually protrudes out of your skull into your neck a bit. And the most important, well, they're all very important, but in my opinion, not, I wouldn't say the most important, the, the cranial nerve that we want to pay attention to the most is cranial nerve, nerve number 10, which is called your vagus nerve. And what your vagus nerve is, it is, it is what we call parasympathetic tone to actually every organ in your body. So what is, what is parasympathetic tone? Parasympathetic tone is a brake pedal. It is ability to slow things down. It is the ability for your heart to say, I can recover. It is the ability of your gut to say, okay, let's break our foods down. Let's slow down. Let's digest. Um, it is for your liver to say, time to take care of myself, time to heal and have the right tissues in my body to do those. Now, what's the opposite of parasympathetic tone? And it would be sympathetic tone. So sympathetic. And, and yes, I understand that we now know that there are different horns of the parasympathetic with understanding the whole um, cell danger response, whole really cool conversation there. I'm not going to dive into that uh, inside of this, but the sympathetic tone is fight or flight. It is save my life. Your body does not care about digesting food or recovering if it's in that sympathetic tone. And I do believe that more of most of us are kind of more, maybe more sympathetically driven or potentially even dorsal parasympathetically driven, which is a lot like sympathetics. So it's important for us to understand how to come alongside of our vagus nerve. So little things that you can do, humming, gargling, um, gagging yourself while you brush your teeth, which I'm sure sounds amazing. Actually, I had a, I had a pregnant woman in the clinic the other day and, and I was explaining this and I'm like, she has morning sickness. I'm like, yeah, probably the last thing you want to do right now is gag yourself uh, when you're brushing your teeth. That would be miserable when you have morning sickness. Uh, you can massage those bumps behind your ears called your mastoid processes. Uh, I, I believe, and this is my opinion, that one of the main reasons why chiropractic or upper cervical work works because it actually stimulates the neurology around the 10th cranial nerve. Um, now, many people, in my opinion, have less musculoskeletal neck pain or spinal pain as they do proper detoxification. I would say every single week, at least, we have someone comment inside of our practice that maybe they see a chiropractor or they see an acupuncturist or a massage therapist. And after they've been working with us for, for a few months, they go back to that therapist and the therapist is like, what are you doing? Like your tissue feels so different to me. And I think it's because we honor the drainage pathways. We give the body the cellular energy that it needs. We address the infections and the toxicities. So obviously what that impacts is systemic inflammation. So when you decrease that systemic inflammation, it has aspects around that. All right. Next question that I'll address here is seasonal allergies. Um, Michelle says seasonal allergies, long-term effects of using allergy meds and, and some alternative methods for treatments. These are a real thing. I, I, my wife, for example, uh, can, does get impacted by seasonal allergies. She also has like a cat allergy, for example. Um, you know, the question is really, um, I'm not trying to say that allergies are not a real thing. They're very much a real thing. 
But what I talk about when I talk about any type of an allergy or a histamine response, something has to be triggered, right? So, so if, if where this hand is, is, is at the level where a symptom happens, and this is kind of the moving target of your, of your nervous system or your immune system, and anytime this, this goes above this area, this is where a symptom happens, the real question is, why are these two lines so close together? Why? So what we try to do with the work that we do in the clinic is we try to gain some buffer zone. So it doesn't mean that you're not going to be around ragweed or, or farming allergies or cats, but why is there so little buffer here? So through the work of coming alongside of the nervous system and, and giving the body some buffer, then we can do this down here as opposed to like ert, having it be just such in that spot. Now, um, respectfully, I, I don't I don't have the research in front of me on long term use of of allergy meds. Though the reality is, I mean, it can't be good for you to to schlep down the, the little pink pills, um, you know, multiple times a day. So the other thing would be to try there, and there are lots of natural alternatives. Whether it's homeopathic alternatives, there are even some techniques like there's something called NAET, Nabujapods allergy elimination techniques. Some people have had some success with that. Um, there are some um, natural things that can help with a histamine response. Everyone's different, but big picture wise, what I really feel like we don't want to be is a, a this for that clinic. We want to say, why globally are you having that type of a response? So that's the story on allergies. Next question, Elizabeth says, pain between the shoulder blades. Um, what's going on with that? And, and by the way, I know Elizabeth and she's, she's been one that, um, has had the, the, the coat has had COVID and had one heck of a response and it really, really got her. Well, one of the things that we know that, um, the area between the shoulder blades neurologically is impacted by the lungs. One thing I want to tell you guys about is something called a negative feedback loop. And I'm not going to do a deep dive into biochemistry here, but a negative feedback loop would say something like this. If the lungs are not functioning well, the negative feedback through the nervous system goes back to the area of the spine where the, where the lungs are innervated by, and there's this negative feedback that comes back. So then what happens is any other tissues or organs that are innervated by those neurological levels can also be negatively impacted. So a lot of times when people have lung issues or lung stress, they can get that pain between their shoulder blades because of the negative feedback loop. Now, the other thing, especially with COVID and, and, the, and the respiratory component of that, a lot of times people's diaphragms can be negatively impacted by that as well. And it's very important for us to understand the diaphragm and its role in respiration and even um, like your, your, your mid-back and your thorax health, but also detoxification. Uh, the, the respiratory system, in my opinion, is one of the least understood and respected detox channels. Actually, there's a book that I like. The book is called Breath by a guy named James Nestor. And in his book, he says that 8.5 out of every 10 pounds of weight loss comes through the respiratory system. So um, I actually even... Um, went to a, an amazing physical therapy conference probably five years ago. And there's this world famous physical therapist, his name is Ron Ruska. And he teaches this technique called the zone of apposition. And in that he essentially talks about how there's this fascial plane that starts down in the left hip. And then it comes up through the body and goes across the rib cage and then up into the right shoulder. 
And, and the technique is actually how we go and balance the diaphragm to fix that. And I will be, I will tell you that I had an amazing personal experience with that. I actually had hip pain, uh, not mid-back pain or shoulder pain. I had hip pain that was actually literally obliterated by doing um, the zone of apposition work. And by the way, there's all kinds of trained physical therapists around the United States that are trained in the zone of apposition work. Game changer if you have anything from a diaphragmatic standpoint. By the way, more people than not have that going on. So pain between the shoulders, got to listen to it. Um, and then some people just sit too much, right? I mean, if you think about your posture, the muscles on the front of your body, your pectoralis muscles and, and your abs are actually much larger and more active muscles than the, than the small postural muscles on the back of you. So that's the story there about pain between the shoulder blades. Melissa, I'm curious what Dr. Greg's take is on anxiety and ADHD in kids. Um, man, this is a big heated topic right now, right? Because the utilization of ADHD medications, and I am, first off, I'm not denying that there is, you know, kids that just cannot sit still and that do not have the ability to focus on stuff. My concern, though, is... Um, the, what what drugs are used? I guess I'm just going to say that. And by the way, I can't prescribe or unprescribe, so so I'm not giving medical advice on on this topic. But but understand that a lot of like ADHD medications are literally like in the methamphetamine family. So you have to think about that for a second. Um, and then the question I have is: so if this kid truly has ADHD, then why can they sit uh, at a TV console and play a video game for ten hours without even? just getting up to eat something. And this is one of the, you know, concerns that I have about, you know, trying to take these, t trying to take whatever shape your child is, you know, and, and fit them into the shape of public school, for example. Now, I'm not trying to knock public school, but the reality is there's a lot of holes inside of public school. I'm, I'm frankly not a huge fan of the public school system. Um, my wife and I homeschooled our kids for many years, and now our kids do go to the public school system. But the reality is not every kid is designed to sit at a desk for eight hours a day after they've eaten completely crappy food and and um, are dehydrated and can't even go to the can't even go to recess anymore, and they're supposed to sit there and pay attention. Like really? So now I know you're like, oh my, he's got strong opinions on this. I, I do because. I have ADHD, or I would I would be called to have ADHD. But you know what? What I've learned is that there are things that I'm just not gifted at. Now, it doesn't mean that I just, like, negate those things. But there's also things that I am amazing at. And I'll be honest with you. The world has said, Dr. Greg, you can start a bunch. Actually, the world, people close to me, mothers, fathers, teachers, preachers, right, have said, you know, you can start a bunch of things, but you can't finish a damn thing. So what is my giftedness? I'm a visionary. I can start a lot of things and a lot of people can't start anything, but their giftedness is to take something that started and finish it. So instead of being like, you're bad or you don't fit or you don't, you don't fit into this mold. The real question that I think we have to ask is like, where is this child's giftedness? Where is, where, where is, where do they, what, what brings them life to light? Now, it doesn't mean that you should sit your kid in front of a TV for 15 hours a day and let them play Fortnite. I'm not against that. I'm not for that at all. But the question is, is are we trying to just slam this triangle into a square and, and have them be a good little boy or a good little girl? 
Because I'll tell you what, had the ADHD medications been around when I was a kid back in the 80s, and, and had they been widestream used, I would have been that kid. And, and respectfully, I probably wouldn't be here right now had I been brought down that avenue. So I'm grateful that I had teachers that knew that Greg was antsy and, and little Greg had lots of energy and he was spirited. And then they were able to like, you know, just understand that. But also like I was the kid that ever, because back when I went to school, we had gym every single day. I was a sweaty ball of mess because I was very athletic and I, and I used, I knew that if I could play hard in sports and go to recess and, and play football and basketball. I mean, I grew up where you played tackle football in recess. <laughs> like we did not bubble wrap our kids when I grew up. And I, I just, I have great concerns around a lot of that stuff now. So anyway, that's my take on ADHD, but even anxiety, it's a real thing. So instead of saying, here's an anti-anxiety medication, why is there anxiousness? What are they anxious about? Can we actually have a conversation with our kid? Like, tell me more about that. What, what brings you anxiety? And then is it okay? Like, like anxiousness or blue feelings or thoughts or emotions are kind of vilified. Like we all have blue days. So, and then could we <clears throat> empower these children? What, what tools could they have? You know, for me, it's go for a walk or go for a run or lift some weights. Maybe it's grab a guitar. Maybe it's go draw. Like, I, again, I get really concerned that we're trying to take all of these wonderfully shaped children in their own unique way and force them into a model that is not where they're at. Now, on top of that, let's talk about good nutrition we know that crappy foods, damaged fats, damage the cell, affect the brain, affect the gut. So if you're feeding your kid crappy food and you're expecting them to pay attention, shame on you. Like, do not, I mean, like, we need to go back to God's and grandma's way of raising kids. Like, we need to go back to, like, making food from scratch. If you can't pronounce the ingredient, don't eat it. If it's got damaged fats, you have damaged cells in your body. You have to mind the gut. We have to go back to, just you know, I'm half German. I have homemade sauerkraut in my refrigerator right now. Every day, we should be consuming some type of a fermented food. And by the way, fermented food is not like alcohol. It's like, you know, like sauerkraut or tempeh or nato or things like that. So I just, we have to, health does not come from a pharmaceutical body. So look at the diet, look at the movement. How are we eating, moving, and thinking? has a huge impact, not just about your kids, but about you. So, you know, that one felt a little soapboxy. Next question. Shellen says, thoughts on tattoos. If you have them, how much of them cause or hinder your ability to detox? And if you don't have them and get them during detox, is it good or bad? I hear so many people talk about how tattoos have worsened their body's response to detoxing. Well, if you have them, we can't like get rid of them. But the reality is, I mean, this is ink that doesn't go away. That's put inside of your skin. And so to say that there's no impact upon your body is pretty crazy. I mean, I actually think I heard some some conversation about like, there are groups of people, whether it's, um, I'm not sure where they're from, but like, we're literally like huge chunks of their bodies are tattooed. And there's a very strong correlation of liver stress and even liver failure in those cases. Um, some people have talked about, by the way, I'm not, I'm not a tattoo expert. I have no tattoos in my body. I have nothing against tattoos. Um, 
I don't know. I just one of my friends said you don't you don't put a uh, you don't put a bumper sticker on a Ferrari. So I mean, again, nothing against them. So um, but even like I heard someone say like, and I know that there's probably different types of ink and different sources of ink and maybe better ones and worse ones. But even I've heard some people say that even red ink in tattoos can even have like mercury inside of it. Well, you would never want to inject mercury inside of your skin. Um, I think my opinion on tattoos is very much like my opinion on alcohol when it comes to a healing journey. There are so many factors on our journey that we have no control over, right? Like there's just a lot of things that you really can't do a whole, whole lot about. We don't lose sleep over them. And then there's a lot of things that we can control in our healing journey. And, and one of them is alcohol. Another of them is like getting tattoos. So if you're in the middle of spending good quality money on good supplements and a good clinician and you're going through a journey, why would you voluntarily throw a curveball or a potential curveball into the conversation? Um, and that's even my take on like, and this is a whole other conversation, but like breast implants or any type of foreign material inside your body, like let's not do that. Like let's, let's control the factors that we have control over. Let's not lose sleep over the ones that we don't. But I would, I would definitely not recommend getting a tattoo when you're in the middle of a healing journey. All right. Bethany says, any, advi any advice on an enlarged spleen? My GI, GI doctor said it can take years to return to normal size after an illness. I'm hoping to help myself speed up that process. Bethany, your GI doctor is correct. The spleen uh, is unequivocally impacted by, by illness, by infection, and how cool is that, that it will heal? Now, the question I think I really hear you, I really hear you saying is, how can I speed that process up? And the answer is, um, with exactly what we do clinically in our, in our practice, and again, I'm not trying to say that, listening to this, you need to be a patient in our practice, but we identify things that can impact the spleen. So we identify infection. We identify toxicity. We also make sure that the drainage pathways are open. So you, we can speed this up by making sure that we're, that we're being diligent about our supplements and our protocols and getting things out of our system. We can also be diligent by being mindful of the things that we're putting into our body. So damaged fats um, is the number one source, in my opinion, of things that cause inflammation in the body. So damaged fats, hydrogenated oils, vegetable oil, sunflower oil, canola oil. By the way, do you know there's, no, there's actually no such thing as a canola plant? Now, the farmers are like, yes, there is. We just harvested it. Well, um, by the way, look at your, at your seed. And by the way, farmers know this. Canola is actually a genetically modified rapeseed plant. I was actually at a family farm several years ago and I, during seeding and, and they're like, we're going to go seed canola. And in the back of the truck, there was a bag seed and it said rapeseed zero zero. So it was a genetically modified, modified rapeseed plant. Damaged fats cause inflammation. Sugar, white sugar causes inflammation. Anything that inflames your body slows down the healing process. So, um, Keep your drainage pathways open, make sure there's enough cellular energy, and don't impede through inflammatory processes. All right, Melanie talks about, I would love to hear Dr. Greg talk about histamine intolerance. And this actually goes back to the question that I talked about with seasonal allergies. So again, what happens with histamines many times is our immune system is frazzled. Right, so the analogy that the story that I've told, I try to make analogies because people remember stories. So let's say that that my day at work today was crazy, like everything that could go bad went bad. By the way, remember we've all had those days. 
So then I, I, I drive home. It takes me 15 minutes to drive home. And when I get home, I am still frazzled. And then something, like my kiddo, comes up and I love my little girl. And, and let's say she does something just a little bit off. And I, I snap. I blow up at Navia. Um, does it mean that I'm, you know, allergic to Navia or I have a sensitivity to Navia? No. It means that my system is frazzled. And this happens a lot of times in people that start to consume like a food, for example, and they consume it and they're fine until they have it for, you know, three or four days in a row or they, and then all of a sudden they're starting to make histamines. So it's not like all of a sudden that blueberry got bad. The question is underlying your immune system is tapped. And in a lot of those cases, I see autoimmunity where your body is starting to pull the trigger against healthy things. So is histamine intolerance a real thing? Yes, but the, but the answer is not a, a bunch of antihistamines. Next question, Sarah, if we have great sleep hygiene, no screen time, a solid bedtime routine, a good environment, but we kill, still can't sleep, then what? Okay, so first off, we better talk about good sleep hygiene. So what are some of the things that equal sleep hygiene? Number one, uh, we have to understand that our body has a circadian rhythm to it. What that means is when we wake up in the morning, our, our cortisol should be good and high. And then slowly as the day goes on, it should fall off. And there are things in our world that can ramp our cortisol. So for example, maybe having a stressful conversation with a loved one at night may not be the best time to have that conversation. Um, maybe um, having that bedtime high uh, glucose or insulin snack is not a good thing. And so, so I'm a big fan of no food three hours before bed. Part of it is that your brain has its own lymphatic system. It's called a glymphatic system. So, but if you eat food three hours before you go to bed, you're telling your body, hey, blood, you have to go to the digestive tract to break this food down. You don't get to go to the brain and drain the glymphatic system. So that's number one. Second thing is screens before you go to bed. We have um, an organ in our body that responds to light. So if, if it's response to light, it says, hey, it's time to be awake. So that's why we don't want to be on our phones, our tablets, our televisions, because we want our body to kind of go into this like evening and bedtime routine. Um, we want a nice, cool environment in our, in our bedroom. Uh, 65 degrees, according to research, is kind of the sweet spot. Um, now, I, I think of my own house, and this is typical in two-story houses. The master bedroom is on the second floor. So what happens is it's the hottest place in the house. So, um, so things like maybe a mattress cooler or, or a chili pad or, or a fan in your room. Uh, now, the fan is the second part of the evening, uh, um, the bedroom environment. This, the conversation of white noise. So there's even conversation of putting a fan in the bedroom uh, from that aspect. So those are the three things, right? Like, like an, a bedtime routine, uh, cool environment, and then having some white noise. Now, other things that I do is I wear a sleep mask. So completely pitch black. Every single night I wear a sleep mask. And then the other thing that I've been working with here, two things actually, and I'm not telling you to do these, but you can totally try them, is I, um, by the way, I can breathe through my nose very easily. I don't have nasal congestion. So I actually, before I go to bed at night, I tape my mouth shut. 
So I, I do, it's called mouth taping now, and, and no, no disrespect to the people that are selling their really expensive mouth tape. Um, I use something called 3M Micropore. It's like this paper tape. It's very sticky. I just put a piece from here to here, and then I, I put it on and I go to bed. Um, and, and for some people, it might take a little bit of getting used to, uh, but, it's, but what it does is it forces nasal breathing. So when you're sleeping, we know that nasal breathing is actually much more soothing and recovering for your nervous system than mouth breathing. So we do that. And then uh, my brother, actually, we were on vacation this summer. He said, I wear earplugs every single night. So not only do I have white noise in my, in my bedroom with a fan, I also put earplugs in. And what I would, what I would, what, what I would say is my experience with earplugs is it almost gives me like a sensory deprivation experience. So I almost feel like, like, like I'm in like maybe a, a salt tank or, or something like that. So um, those are all things that I do before I go to bed. And then the other thing that I do is I box breathe every single night when I hit the, when I hit the bed, I box breathe. So box breathing is, is a count of four in through my nose. I hold the breath in for a count of four. I exhale for a count of four. And then I hold that exhale out for a count of four. That makes one box. I string 20 of those together and then I'm out sleeping like a baby. Now, if you're doing all of that and you still can't sleep, then I think it's important for us to have a bigger conversation of like, what's going on? Like, what, what, like, are you one of those people that just can't turn your mind off? And if so, then like, what's on your mind? Let's have some real authentic conversations about what you're trying to process. Um, you know, some people, um, you know, their system could be ramped at night. For some people, there's infections. And I'll, as nicely as I can say this, parasite infections love to be active in the evenings and in many cases. So for some people, it's when their infections in their body are more active, which are which is stirring their system. So that's something to think about. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not a big fan of like, oh, go take go take a CBD or go take a bunch of melatonin or take, you know, a bunch of sleeping pills. I'm not really a fan of those things. I think we really want to honor the body, ask what it's saying and just like circle that dragon a few times and go, what's what's the why behind this? You know, maybe you had some trauma. Um, maybe when you went to bed at night, there was things in your life that happened to you. It might be worth having some conversation around that. So let's just, let's just, let's not lose sleep around it. No pun intended, but let's actually dig into it and see what could be going on inside of that. So there we have it, you guys. That is a question and answer for today. Um, like always, uh, wherever you're listening to these podcasts, jump in and leave us a five-star review. Yes, we are totally asking for a five-star review because we want to get this information out. The, the Daily Dose with Dr. Greg exists to serve people. We exist to just give people the information that they need. So if you go ahead and you put in a five-star review, wherever you listen to podcasts, we'll put you into a drawing for a free bottle of my favorite, my go-to vitamin D product called DV3 from Systemic Formulas. It is the only vitamin D product that I have used clinically now for probably almost 10 years. It's exactly what I take. It's what my wife and my kids take. It is what is used in my house. So again, jump in and give us a five-star review and you will be put into a drawing for that. Also, share this. There are people literally around the world. I mean, people are listening to this all over the world, like Australia and Spain and New Zealand, like, holy cow, that's amazing. Share this. We truly exist to just be an asset to you and your loved ones on your health journey. So there you guys have it. Uh, thank you for joining us and stay tuned for next week's episode.